Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. What does the Bible say about that stuff? And if, if you had a search bar where you could just be like, it would just tell you exactly what the Bible says about any of those topics, do you know? Uh, and, and the reason we're asking that is, it seems as we've studied the Psalms this last month, we've come to this reoccurring thought that King David knew that there was a way to follow God and there was a way to not. There was a way that was righteous and faithful and then there was a way that was evil and, and wicked. And so as we get into today, um, there's topics that if you bring them up in mixed company, you can almost feel the wind in the room go, I'm gonna do that all day today. Isn't that fun? Because most of the time we don't talk about these things and, and the reality is on all those topics, abortion, homosexuality, depression, anxiety, end times, the Bible actually has something to say and that God hasn't left us asking. And, and when the church stops talking, then we just let the noise fill, fill the vacuum. And, and so if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to kind of make a decision. Do I want to follow what he says or do I want to follow my own heart? Do I want to follow my own will? But really, we, we are a people that are taught by the word of God and led by the spirit of God. And there's some stuff coming up uh, in, in the upcoming elections and all this stuff. But the reality is the Bible's going to call us out today and be like, hey, you do know that there are false things in the earth, right? You do know that there are evil things in the earth. You're like, how's it going to do that? If you have a Bible, go to Psalm 26. And as you're going there, I just want to enter into a couple of these topics uh, by letting you know uh, where I come from. And you're like, what do you mean, where you come from? If you talk about abortion or homosexuality or gender or transgenderism, there's this assumption that you're just going to be a pastor that's going to stand back here and yell over the people. You dirty sinners, repent. Um, 40 years ago, I'm 40 years old. Uh, I was born uh, into a family. My dad was a police officer on his second marriage. My mom was a Miami University student, and I was not planned for, which makes me either a mistake or a happy accident. I don't know which one it is, all right? Blessed indeed. My mom and dad maybe not didn't see it that way because I messed up the marriage, messed up her life. She wouldn't say that. Thank you, mom. Um, but it created all this turmoil because I was not expected and I messed up some plans. And so 40 years ago, my mom uh, runs into a pastor from Oxford Bible Fellowship. He offers her job and says basically like, you don't have to get rid of the baby. But 40 years ago, my mom did find herself in an abortion clinic. And she says, and this is her testimony, I just get to share it, that she heard a voice say, leave. And so I am a testimony of, hey, I understand there's brokenness in the world. And God makes beautiful things out of broken stuff sometimes. And he takes dead things and makes them alive. And there is no flavor of sin in this room that God can't redeem. So if you're in here and I start talking about abortion or homosexuality, I'm, I'm not, if I, I'm going to talk about those things. And that makes you uncomfortable because you've been involved in them. I'm not throwing shame on you. I'm saying Jesus Christ saves all people. And so it's like with a hope that God took a kind of scared college girl and saved her. And then out of the, the goodness of the Lord, I'm like, look at me now, mom. Uh, look, I'm a pastor and God's, I think, using me. I'm hoping, you know, I just think you got to hear that there's hope over all these circumstances and all these situations and all these topics. But I also know you're not allowed to talk about them. And when the church doesn't talk about things, uh, we, we, we forget that God put us to be salt and light and that we have to do grace and truth. And so in Psalm 26, and I'm gonna ask you to do something that's, uh, it's a little liturgical, but if you could stand, I wanna read Psalm 26 together. And that's really because I believe this is the word of God. And when he speaks, we stand at attention. And that's how much I think this is the word of God. Vindicate me, O Lord 
For I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me, be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. The word of the Lord. Blessed be to God. Okay. If you could, really quick, hug the person next to you and then maybe grab his sleeve, maybe smack him to say hi. Be like, I'm so glad you're here. So you'll notice King David uh, is the man after God's own heart and he is singing a song to God. And in it, he says, God, I'm really trying to set my mind on your faithfulness and I'm trying to walk in your path and I'm trying to walk in righteousness. And I have, I've walked in integrity. And in that middle stanza, he says, but I don't sit with men of falsehood. And I don't consort with hypocrites. And I hate the assembly of evildoers. And I will not sit with the wicked. Now, that is a discomforting thought to modern Christendom because we're not used to calling things evil. But you know there's evil in the world today, right? You know that there are broken, wicked men doing evil things to people. And it's so hard because we're like, but my Jesus, but my Jesus, and what I'm asking us to do today, and I'm going to ask you multiple times today is, if you're saying you follow Jesus, and I hope everybody in here is like, I'm a follower, is the way that you're following him, is it based off the book or is it based off Fox News? Or I can go the other way, MSNBC. Is it the way that you're following Jesus, if it, is it off his word and what he says, or is it off your feelings or a Jesus that you created because it makes you feel good and the people around you feel good? And so I read this and you'll be like, why are you talking about this? The reality is I know some of you, you're, you're not gonna wanna come back. And I am not speaking the way I am today to offend anybody. Maybe three years ago, I would have because I'm a little ornery. But I'm speaking this way because Jesus Christ looks over all these topics and he goes, the whole earth is mine, Andrew. All these topics I've given the word to speak into. And when the church is silent, so like in the sexual revolution of the 1960s and the hippies and the love and the LSD and sex everywhere, the church went, whoa. And they retreated into their nice buildings with their safe white kids and they didn't speak into it. But the church needs to learn to step back into dark places, to be the light, to walk in grace and truth. And we're not afraid of any topic under the sun. We're not. I already told you my background. I don't think there's anybody in here that can out the grace of God. And so he's beckoning some of you. It might be homosexuality for you. It might be someone you love. In fact, I know there's people in this room, this stuff affects. I can prove it right now. Anybody in here have a loved one? Maybe even you yourself, we won't know. So you can raise your hand, it'll be safe. But like homosexuality, sexuality has like affected you or your family. See that? Anybody in here like abortion has been a, a place like just brokenness has been a part. Like you're like somewhere in my family. Thank you for being honest. And I know that. And so I don't, you don't have to flip a chair and walk out. You, I mean, I got a whole email folder set aside for what's about to come my way. But if God's word says it and I keep silent, whose am I? Well, then I'm, I'm actually a servant of the people and not of God. And I'd rather serve him than you. But the part that I love of Psalm 26, he says, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I want God's glory to dwell here. I feel that in my bones. I want you to encounter the glory and the power of God. And if we don't start hating what he hates and loving what he loves, that's not gonna be a thing. 
And nobody talks like that because we're afraid of offending people. So I'm not here to offend you. I'm here to beg you. All right, fine. You don't have to listen to me. In fact, you can go on the internet. I spent a whole day this week just reading and watching and going to places. And I can find five, a handful of guys that'll tell you the exact opposite thing I'm going to tell you today. They're going to use the Bible and they're going to use Greek. They're going to make it slick and they're going to tell people, oh, it's fine. And they're going to damn them in the process. And so as we talk about these things, there are false, evil things in the earth today, guys. I mean, the greatest example right now in Palestine, in Israel, there are evil things being done. You know this, right? The problem, though, is we are Americans who have been brought up in. The soil we live in is a postmodern world. Everybody know that thought, postmodernism? Pastors have ranted on this. All it means is postmodernity. There's a modern age. So we're enlightened. We have all the industrial revolution. We know all the stuff, and we are scientific. The back end of that, have you ever had somebody say to you, well, that's your truth, and I have my truth, and we're good. The only problem is the very idea of truth is there are true things and there are false things. So if I tell you, hey, red is blue and blue is red, those both can't be true. So if we, as the people of God, go, we're followers of Jesus and we believe that our Savior said out of his mouth that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is an exclusive claim. So you can't, as a Christian, go, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and then go, but have you tried Buddha? They don't, they don't meet up. They're opposed. They, they, they cannot join together. And so as a Christian, once again, are your beliefs about the cultural issues of the day, are they formed by the Bible, or are they formed by postmodern thought? I've gotten in fight with atheists. I've gotten in fights with all kinds of people. And, and the reality is, two dominating thought processes of our day is, you can have a truth that says sexuality is okay, and I can have a truth that says homosexuality is wrong, and we can coincide. But you know why the world's tearing itself apart? We have worldviews that are just clashing right now. And so some of you, I know I'm already making you uncomfortable you're already planning. Maybe when he prays here in a second, I can leave. I understand the weight of these topics. But I'll tell you why I'll talk about these. Uh, months, maybe a month ago, a dad of this body who's a member came and said, one of my kids is in this. Uh, we got issue one coming up. We got issue two coming up. Are you guys going to talk about this? And I'll tell you what, I didn't say anything in the meeting, but in my head, I was like, no, not going to talk about that because it makes people leave your church. It makes people send you emails. It makes people call you things that maybe you're not. Uh, so the reality is I can already catch uh, one accusation that might come for me. Why are you being political? And the reality is that accusation doesn't stick with me because I'm like the least political person in this room. Uh, if I gave my politics sermon, I can make more of you leave. I just have very little hope that a government's going to fix this earth. But I have a savior who said he will. And so when the people of God abandon their real hope, our hope is those that want to kill their children won't because he has hope for them. When a young kid, and I've done youth ministry, comes to me and I'm an accident, Andrew, you're not an accident. God made you on purpose. And you might not look like the other kids, but you have purpose, son or daughter. This is the hope of the message of the Christians. We're the hope-filled people. And when the hope-filled people forget their hope and then go with culture, we doom a whole generation. And you're like, oh, now he's, I'm not even mad. I'm just to get excited. Because Jesus, I don't know about you, Jesus found me in some darkness. Anybody else? And he saved me and he made me new. And it's all, I mean, bless the Lord. So what I've noticed about modern culture is there's a lot of, uh, you ever heard someone say, well, my Jesus wouldn't act like that. And so if all of us start defining Jesus by my Jesus and not the biblical one, we'll end up in some weird spots. 
sometimes we'll say, well, my Jesus, he just loves, he's just grace-filled. He doesn't offend anybody. I, I love that thought. I only got one problem with it, the Bible. Regularly in the Bible, Jesus would gather great, great crowds. And then he almost would seem to say something just to repel them. You're like, why would Jesus do that? So Jesus comes to men and women like you and me, and he says, follow me. Follow me. What I say, what I'm doing, my kingdom and my laws, not the other way around. And in John 6, 66, you have that exact same thing happen. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the invitation, to follow Jesus in a world where it's getting harder. And the reality, I can't figure out if like America's under judgment or if God is crushing the Christians for, to birth revival. I haven't quite figured it out yet. But we're not used to, we're used to 1950s Christianity because in 1950s Christianity, to be a Christian businessman was to be loved. And in 1950s Christianity, it was safe white picket fences with a Christianity that was accepted. And now all of a sudden the culture's turning and to follow Jesus in this culture, you will be hated. Which is interesting because a guy we follow said that would happen. And so a lot of times they're like, don't talk about this stuff. I can't, I mean, it's so much harder to follow Jesus now than it was then. Anybody heard of the Roman Empire? Anybody? It's an empire that, that was gonna, supposedly the greatest empire on the earth and it would never fall. It fell. Uh, the idea that it was harder to be a Christian now than then is kind of silly, meaning that the Romans were not really well known for their sexual ethics, meaning bathhouses, rape, torture, uh, their, their idea of corporal punishment, uh, our Savior encountered a cross. And so they would literally line streets with men begging for their lives on crosses. You have this idea that, man, I can't believe it's so hard sexually to follow Jesus today. It's so hard to follow Jesus in an age. And I'm like, I don't think the early Christians had it any easier. Same stuff, different age. And this is why the word of God stands forever. It challenges them and it challenges us. The question is, are we going to follow Jesus? Or are we going to follow our gut or our heart? Or not my Jesus, but my, our Jesus literally said to a huge group of people, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they all went, this is a hard teaching. Who can do this? And left. He didn't chase them. He didn't plead with them. He told them the truth. So I want to do this. I want to pray because it doesn't get any easier from here. And we need God's help. I need God's help a lot. So Father, we need your help. And I, I'm doing what you told me to do. You said, I want you to wait and speak when I tell you. And so, Father, I ask for the coming of the Holy Spirit of God, that the weight of your glory that would be in this room, that the word, your words, would burn like fire in our very bones, and that we would not bend our knee to the spirit of the age, that we would bend our knee to Jesus Christ. And so we invite your rebuke, your reproof, your correction, and your training. We invite you to be our leader. We follow you, the risen Son of God, who conquered sin and death and hell itself. You are our Lord, our Maker, and our King. Would you protect the minds of everybody in here? I pray that there would not be any demonic power that would be able to stir anybody up. We want to be a church, God, that says out loud, we love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory is. We want you more than we want the earth to like us. And so help us today in Jesus' name. Amen? So following Jesus is, is getting harder.
because if you go out and you say some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, you'll get called names, and I've been called the names. But the reality is I think Christians need to be reminded that we are actually part of something really, really big, that there is a very cosmic, global, spiritual warfare going on right now, and the casualties are men and women, men and like young women and children are being destroyed wholesale and the church is standing there going, oh, that's a shame, and we're fighting each other. And so when we stand, I think we need to re- realize that, man, this small view, and what I mean by small view is, this isn't about legislation for me. This isn't about right politics. This isn't about how you vote. I, all these things in my mind, you know why I talk about them? Because all of this is God's. God puts kings and presidents in place. The Bible says that. God cares for every child, born or unborn. God knit them together. They are image bearers. We're going to talk a lot about that today. And I might start getting a little passionate. I'm not mad at you. But when we forget that, what you'll find is we can start telling people, well, that's okay. And in the prophecies of telling them that they're okay in their sin, we damn them. It is not a loving thing to tell someone they're okay when they are not. And so the bigger picture that I see, if I could see it, uh, I think I was in California. It was probably California. And I was driving by a church with a big billboard with rainbows on it. And it said, let's reimagine church and faith together. And then I was like, oh, what what are they talking about at that church? So I looked up a podcast. And in that podcast, they called God a woman and went on to say a whole bunch of things that you can't say with this unless you're deceptively trying to pull a people into a worldview that the world wants. And so we're gonna talk about abortion today. We're gonna talk about homosexuality and gender today. We're gonna talk about transgenderism today. We're gonna talk about, I'm all for it. I can have a conversation with anybody. Um, I'm of the belief that the church has to learn how to enter back in and not just keep aborting and stepping out. We gotta enter in, but we're afraid of it. A lot of us, we're we're ill-equipped biblically to cover these topics. And I know that they stir up feelings. I know that because we actually have a podcast and I don't know why, but I went up and looked the reviews up the other day, which was a fun exercise. And I've given these sermons before and I know what people will say. But one of those was the sermons are very scripture-based and I felt like the speakers share the scriptures and ask the listeners to read the text. We do that. No topic is held back for political correctness. Sermons are relevant for today and not just feel-good messages. We really want our people to be people of the word and not afraid to cover any topic under the sun. But the next one, that was a five-star. We're doing it, guys. Five stars. The very next one was a one-star off the same sermon. I was enjoying the podcast until he started beating into our heads that homosexuality is wrong and that's the truth. I will not listen to another one. There is a way to love God and not be against homosexuality. And that's, that's a thought of the day. And, and the reality is I know this is going to affect some of you negatively and I know some of you are gonna get me after service, you're gonna be like, so proud, thank you. I know, like, I don't need the bravos. I talk about this because all things are God's. Every homosexual kid, God made him. Every transgender kid, God made him. Every daughter that's scared to death because she's pregnant and even thinking about abortion, God made her and the baby. Therefore, there's not any brokenness level on the earth that the Christian can enter into and go, I got hope for you. And so we talk about this, this is all his. We've already talked about this. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell therein. Colossians 1 says the exact same thing. For by him, all things were created. What's that word all mean? Thanks guys. All the things. Were you made by God? That transgender kid made by God? Homosexual kid made by God? Made by God. For God is what it says. So let me ask you some questions. I'm gonna ask you, or just do a little Political or spiritual? Ready? Abortion, political or spiritual? First service was like, 
They didn't want to yell because you feel, you feel the nervousness. We've been told, don't talk about this. And I'm saying, this is what everybody's yelling about. Why wouldn't we talk about it? The Bible does. Uh, gender, political or spiritual? Sexuality, political or spiritual? And then really all this is, I think it's all spiritual. And I think the Christian has to learn how to, in a new way, enter into that stuff. But I'll tell you why, why these sermons. Um, we do testimonies and it's this card that changed my mind, really. Uh, they're on that wall right there. You can see them. They're on that wall right there. And I, I pace when I pray on Wednesday nights and I read these and I was thanking God and I ran into this card. And it said, God released his truth through Andrew. Jesus is the truth the truth that set me free from the guilt and shame of having an abortion. I love you, Jehovah. This is why the church must talk. Because God can heal even broken things. Jesus sat with sinners and told them they were sinners and then was like, I'm the good doctor and I can make you well. He pushed away the religious. So we're not redefining Jesus or what's true or what's false. We're going, okay, how can we enter into this? And so I want to show you a foundation on every level, abortion, homosexuality, gender, where a Christian starts. And it's in Genesis 1. You're like, Genesis 1? That's the foundation for Christian thought and belief on all these topics. You're like, how so? We'll open up a Bible, go to Genesis chapter one, very, very first verse. And then we're gonna look at verse 27. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who did? God, the G-O-D, the big guy created everything. That's, our, that's us. That's the people of God going, this wasn't a mistake. You're not from monkeys. You didn't climb up in a poor primordial soup. You, God made you. We herald that over the babies. We herald that over the gender students. We herald that over the transgender, the homosexual. We, we get to say that truth, and it's powerful. Because God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he begins to populate that earth with animals. He's like, there's a platypus. Why? I don't know, but he did, right? You ever studied platypuses, platypi? Weird animals, man. Weird, okay? But he's like, he creates the flora and the fauna, but they're, they're quantitatively different than the last creation point. He creates the giraffes and the rhinos and the platypi. He creates the animals and the trees and it's teeming with life. And then he creates one last thing. Do you know what that last thing is? It's these humans, these men and these women, and they're not like the rest of the creation. They share one thing that's very important in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Women, you were made in the image of God. Men, you were made in the image of God. This image bearing is a Latin term, imago Dei, image of God. You are image bearers. In some weird way, you image, you are like God on high. And he made it that way. Which means every person you meet on this earth for the rest of your life, they're an image bearer which is why they have worth and it has weight on if we're killing babies or not because those babies are image bearers. It's why how we treat people that are confused about their sexuality, they are image bearers. People that were made men and now are saying they are women, they are image bearers and God didn't make a mistake the first time. That was my grandmother. <laughs> the, that, that's the foundation. You're like, oh, I need 17 verses that prove my point. You just need one. God created men. God created women. It was his idea. And so when I have a son, I have some sons. They are image bearers of God. It's like, it's all, God's got this cool plan. The image bearers just keep happening. And so it's like, relationally, you're a lot like God. The way you think, a lot like God. You are not him, but you have some characteristics that are. And so we get to herald that over all of these topics, all of them. 
So if you talk about any of them, let's talk about some of them with, with abortion, right? Now, when we talk about abortion, and, and the reality is we're talking about this because I told you, a dad showed up and says, are you going to talk about issue one? I was like, no, sir. That's hard. But then uh, two weeks later, I got an email from a priest of all people, and he's like, you guys got to talk about this, this weighty stuff. And I was like, you can't talk about that. People get mad. But then I brought it up to the elders, and I said, hey, you think we should talk about this? And they were like, we think you should talk about this. Uh, just kidding. They didn't throw me under the bus. If I asked them, they would all come stand with me. So this wasn't Andrew's idea to beat some drum. This was the elders going, this seems to be pulling a lot of our people astray. And we don't want them walking astray. We want them walking in the truth. So they would stand with me, I think, all of them. Not, they would. Um, I had a thought coming. Doesn't matter. But as I started to study, like, abortion, um, I realized that, believe it or not, science and scripture aren't at odds. Who knew? Right? Who knew that the God that made all things and that science is studying his world, that those things would, would line up? And so from really forever, Scripture has taught that life begins at conception, right? And the only people kind of peddling a different line of thought are trying to do a different agenda. But I started to realize I am not a doctor because I hate school. So I'm never going to have doctor at the end of my name. And I'm not a biologist. So I started studying biologists. And really, biologists is a really fascinating thing. Biologists, when it comes to mammals, people, animals and people that think they feed their things with milk, All these biologists and doctors say the same thing, that life begins at conception. And scripture teaches the same thing, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that you were created in the image of God, that you were not a mistake. And, and so really, I don't know if you know all the baby stuff. I've had four kids and I didn't know all the baby stuff. I was like, I know how babies are made. I've done that a few times, but I don't know this stuff. Did you know that at eight weeks, a baby sucks its thumb? Did you know that they have their own DNA and own blood type? Did you know that if you try to poke them, they will recoil? Did you, like, do you know all that stuff? So as soon as I was studying this, I was like, dang it, I gotta say something. I have to. If the, wor the word's really clear. And, and so when, why this matters is every baby born or not is an image bearer of God. And I don't care how you vote, I do. I care about this. If you're gonna say, I'm a Christian, and you're gonna say, I, I think babies should be aborted, you're saying something I can't find in scripture. And I don't think you're gonna get to heaven one day, and he's gonna be like, son, daughter, come here. I'm so glad you killed so many babies. I know, I'm not even trying to be shocking. I don't think that's on the agenda of heaven. And so as we talk about this, we got to be like, well, that makes, me, uh, that makes me weird in the earth right now. That makes me have to have hard conversations with my coworkers and my kids and people around me. Yes. Yes, it does. I also know that it's not just this clean cut black and white thing. I've met, me and Anna have sat with women who are on their sixth or seventh kid and they're weeping. They're like, I don't have a husband. I don't have a job. I can't make this work. And they're scared and they have no resources. So it's not just like, well, the Bible says don't do that. No, it's we weep with her. We pray with her. And then it's let's drive you to the appointments and let's get you food and let's get you diapers and let's get you childcare. And you're like, well, that would cost me something. Yeah, it will cost us something. All these topics will cost you something. The first thing you got to decide is, am I going to follow God or am I going to follow culture? Am I going to follow the Lord or am I going to follow his word? God offended people on the earth. As, I mean, Jesus Christ offended people. You take the next kind of topic. And all these topics really could be their own independent sermon series. We could talk about this for weeks. 
So I'm probably not doing a lot of justice to all of them. But if you talk about homosexuality, abortion, all these topics, Alistair Begg, if you know his name, real good thinker, um, look up his sermon. It's just about uh, Alistair Begg uh, affirming. He said, either we are operating from a worldview that is framed by the thought forms of the age or by a worldview that is grounded in the will of God. No possibility of compromise. We cannot hate because of God's word and we cannot affirm because of God's word. And we have to be prepared to say that we are unprepared to rewrite the Bible in order to accommodate a society that needs the Bible and really that needs the Jesus who is the focus of the Bible. You've probably been presented with these two alternatives. Either you accept, love, and celebrate everything I am, at least for right now until a month when I change, or it's a different sermon, or you hate me. You've been presented with that? You will be. Either you celebrate and say yes to what I am and who I am, my sexuality, and my agenda, or you hate me. And so Alistair Begg points out beautifully, we can't hate. Why? Because the Bible. The reality is the homosexual community knows what it's to be hated by Christians. We've done a really poor job of washing feet and dying for people. We've done a great job of hitting them with Bibles and holding up yard signs. But I also, at the same time, I can't hate them. I can't affirm them. I can't go it's good when the word says it's bad. I cannot. So that, once again, puts me at odds with a culture that wants me to go with them and celebrate them. But if I celebrate sin, I'm actually condemning them, not loving them. And on this topic, so often, I think, I think we've not armed the church well enough. I think we haven't actually talked about the points well enough, but the witness of the church for the last 2,000 years has been that homosexuality is a sin. That's a fact. There is no church leader in the last 2,000 years, and it's a modern thought. It's almost like Christians in America all of a sudden, 1998, were like, we figured it out. We got smarter than them. It's not a sin. And it's interesting that in the Western church, exactly at the moment that the culture wants to make that an issue, the church is starting to question what they've never questioned. On top of that, you have what we've been talking about. Is your belief on this based off scripture or based off the news or your feelings or you want to be a loving person? Because the Bible, about six passages in the Bible all talk about homosexuality and never once is it in a positive. It's always negative. I'll give you one. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So why would I talk about this? Because that. And I don't even have to be like, well, they need that verse. I lived this verse. I used to be a swindler and an adulterer and a drunk and a thief. But then God saved me, washed me, made me new. And we could do this right now. Anybody in here have a sexual past they're not the most proud of? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Let's be honest in church. Thank you, Terry. I love that. Any of you in like some adulterers up in here? Let's see. Let's hear it. Adulterers, you know, like it feels a little weird, right? I'm not trying. I'm not the same thing I was. I don't think I, I'm an entirely new creation. I am not a sinner by grace. I am a blood-bought, spirit-filled, new, bro- I mean, I am a son of God. So I'm not my old sin, but I remember what he saved me from. You ever think about what you'd be if Jesus didn't intersect your life? All my friends that I was rolling with are either dead or in jail right now. All of them, every single one, but God. 
So this isn't, ha, see, homosexuality. No, this is, hey, dad, you were an adulterer. Hey, Grover, you were this. Hey, you, you were this. Do you remember what you were and the grace of God that was poured out? That's the hope that we have over this topic. But when we forget that, we back up and we go, oh, you're okay. They're not okay because this is an issue of heaven or hell. These are things we need to be armed with. And it's really easy for people to come in with their fancy Greek words and say, well, pornea never meant that. And the Romans had this view of homosexuality that was like, you could be monogamous. It doesn't say that. It's not true. You can also go with, okay, forget about the six verses that say homosexuality is wrong. And look at Ephesians 5, 32, which talks about the purpose for marriage. You know what the purpose of marriage is? to point to the bride of Christ marrying Jesus as the pure spotless one. And that was always every biblical understanding, every Jewish understanding is a man and a woman. So when you redefine that, you actually take Ephesians 5 and you stomp on it. So you didn't have to take the verses about homosexuality. The Bible says those who do not repent of these behaviors will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if I say anything else, I'm lying to you. And that doesn't make it easy. And I've talked with people that have these desires and they're like, those are not fun verses. I know they're not fun verses, but they're verses. And so you you gotta hear me also that Jesus in Revelation 2, he actually rebukes a whole church He's like going through the churches of the, of the day and he looks at Thyatira and he goes, I actually rebuke you and I'm against you because you have accepted and allowed this woman Jezebel to lure people into sexual sin. Go read, go read Revelation 1 and see if you want that Jesus against you. He's not a baby in Revelation 1, very different. And he says to a church in Revelation 2, you allowed teachers to teach your people sexual sin. And he's not even mad at the teachers. He's mad at the people. Go read it. And so not all tolerance is godly. Did you hear me? Not all tolerance is godly. And so when you have evangelicals and Christians going, let's affirm it. Gay relationships are okay. I'm like, oh, you can't do that. You're damning them. You're telling them an identity that's not the Imago Dei. You're telling them an identity that will trap them. You're telling them something that's not true in the Bible. And then you get to gender and transgenderism. And uh, I have done youth ministry in my life. And I don't know if you've ever met a 12 to 14 year old. They are weird. They're just awkward. Their, their feet are usually like different sizes. I mean, like they just have zits all over their bodies. They have facial hair and arm hair. It's just hair and uh, smells and they just feel out of place. You know that feeling? I had so many teenagers come to me and go, am I a mistake? And my favorite thing to do over those teenagers was to read Psalm 139. To look them in the face. And I'm gonna tell you how God made you. And they'd be like, God made me? I'm like, yeah. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I don't know why I'm getting weepy. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. You're not a mistake, teenager. You're not a mistake. And the reality is it's not teenagers asking those questions anymore. It's 25, 30, 35 year olds. And our culture's going, well, if you don't like the genitalia you got, cut it off and become something new. And they're going, that didn't fix it. And so why would the church go with that madness? Why wouldn't we go with, no, you're not a mistake. And I know it feels wrong. And I know you're different. And I know, but God didn't make a mistake. He made you a boy. He made you a girl. Sit with me. You got to weep with those people, not condemn them. 
They're feeling all kinds of confusion. And the reality is you got to embrace this. We got to get our theology deeper and more on the streets. This is what I mean. I have a cousin. His name's Alex. I love Alex. Alex has Down syndrome. Is Alex a mistake? Did God make a mistake on my cousin Alex? Please say no. And so you have to get your theology deeper or you'll buy into the narrative of the culture, which is I'm wrong, I'm a mistake, and I'm going to fix it. Except they're ruining a whole generation and the church is being quiet because we're worried about offending. God made these beautiful boys and girls. God made every one of those kids that are being aborted. God put his image on all of mankind, which is why we get to love and care and herald the hope we have to every person you will ever meet. They might be a Muslim image bearer, but they might be deceived, but they are image bearers. They might be a homosexual image bearer, but they are image bearers. They might be a transgender. I mean, we've had those guys in our church and a guy was detransitioning. And he said, I'm so thankful you preached the truth here. After his first service, a guy came up to me. He's got a guy, I got a brother. He's, he was my brother and now he's my sister. And he's living with three other people in some kind of threesome relationship. He's like, it's a hot mess, but thank you for speaking the truth. All these topics, all these topics, there is nuance on nuance on nuance. What I mean is it's not just black and white. Don't do that. And then I get to step out of that situation. There's brokenness in the world, guys. On a level that a lot of us don't know because we live in really safe I was going to say white, but what really safe white environments. And we have to go and enter into a world that is so drained of hope. They, they'll kill their babies. They'll cut off their appendages. They'll do all sorts of things because they're desperately longing for what the church should have. The hope of God. Do you hear me? And so I know there's messiness in all of this. I know that if we actually live this out, and here's the reality, if a gay couple come in here, I would give them a hug, and then I would also tell them the truth. So John Piper, everybody know him? He gave me, I'm gonna give you a hypothetical from Johnny P. I don't call him that to his face at least. <laughs> he said, hypothetically, a gay couple come to your church and they bring two kids with them because our culture celebrates that. And during your sermon, the Holy Spirit convicts those men and they give their lives to Jesus Christ. And they repent of their sin and they realize that wasn't the truth, but this is the truth. Johnny P says, what do you tell them? Where do the kids go? Do you put them up as orphans? Do you tell these guys to divorce? See the mess? See the mess? So in all of this, this isn't about being right. This is not about legislation. This is about the people of God heralding the truth of God and being in his hands and feet in very tangible ways. With the mom who's like kind of questioning abortion, sitting there, not judging her. And you're like, what are you talking about? I, I think I'm gonna show you in Mark 2, the way of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, go to Mark 2, verse 13. I will say this though. I would love to have conversations with any of you. And the reality is if a hundred of you want to have a conversation with me, I can't do that. But the elders have all agreed we would love to just talk about the nuance, talk about how there's hard spots, talk about the what ifs, because that's typically all these conversations. Well, what if, what if they're raped? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I know the what ifs. And they're never easy. But we would love to talk about all those things. And we're not really afraid of those conversations. So vote how you will on issue one. There actually is an issue two. Issue two is pot, apparently. Everybody's about to be baked, y'all. Like just, I'm, I'm not even trying to make light of it. It's just people are run by money and there's a lot of tax money with pot. So it's just, there's gonna be not drunk college kids, gonna be high college kids. They need the gospel. Jesus already did that during the hippie movement. They can all be saved. Um, it's interesting. I talked, I'll do that. So we talk about issue two. You want to know my opinion? No, you shouldn't smoke pot as a Christian. 
know, some of you are like, what about CBD? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, fine. But let's just pretend this is alcohol. It's not vodka, guys. That was me in high school, okay? If that was alcohol, am I drunk? You're like, what kind of alcohol are we talking about? I'm not drunk, okay? But if, let's just pretend, this is a marijuana cigarette. Am I high? Yes. So I am owned by, I'm under the influence of marijuana. And my belief is a Christian should be only under the effects and ruled by the Spirit of God. So if alcohol starts to claim me and run me, this is why Ephesians 5 says, do not get drunk, then I am not touching alcohol because I want Jesus to rule my heart. And I know there's people in here that like you got chronic pain or Parkinson's or something going on. You're like, if I smoke, then I calm down and I'm not afraid. I understand the effects. But you could take this all kinds of place. And I actually had a lovely conversation with a lady after first service. She said, what about caffeine then? I said, what about it? I love caffeine. Just like, give me all the caffeine. Anybody drink coffee this morning? You're, you are under the effects of a drug. True, Right? And so really it's, okay, fine. It's probably going to get legalized. There's going to be a lot of high people. But the Christian's not run by drugs or alcohol or anything other than the kingdom of God and its king, Jesus Christ. Back to issues we were talking about. I'd like to end talking about hope. Because when I look at abortion and I, I look at gender and I look at homosexuality and I look at some of the transgender stuff going on, I see a lot of hopelessness. It's almost like Christians are like, it's too dark. They're too angry. We can't even engage them. And then we like kind of lose hope. Uh, anybody know the name Matt Chandler? This video didn't work for service, but he, he gave a talk uh, on the day or the Sunday after Roe v. Wade was pulled back, which I think in like prophetic irony, I was in Ireland with Anna on my 39th birthday when that happened. And I thought it was like, God, like, see, got rid of that thing that almost took you out. But he, he's, he, he's talking about the reality that as pastors, we're not naive. We know the world's dark. And so can we play that? And then we'll talk about some hope. I, I don't know what you think we're doing up here during the week. This is a brutally difficult world to be in. And there is a kind of hopelessness that will rot a soul out. There's a young woman, we, we got to lay, there's a young woman that drank bleach to try to kill the baby in her. How hopeless do you have to be to do that? How alone, how nowhere to go, that's what we're talking about here. So it's good and right to celebrate that state or that federal, you know, permission to take life has been lifted and given to the states. But the opportunity now has also been given back to the church to step into a space where darkness can be pushed back and decay can be addressed. And I agree. So we're like, yeah, I think it was good and right for that thing to happen with Roe v. Wade. But now the states are figuring it out. And now as the people of God, I don't care about legislation. I care about the people of God being the people of God. And when they go out and they meet a mom that's questioning that, they're not appalled. They don't shame her. They sit and they weep and then they provide hands and feet Jesus life. When you meet a teenager that's questioning everything they are and they don't think they're in the right body, you're not appalled. Sin doesn't work. It's not like you catch it if you're next to them. You sit with them and you weep with them and you tell them to proclaim the truth. God knit you together on purpose and I know it feels weird and I know it feels wrong. You're not broken. God can make you whole. And so when we look at this idea of hope, I've already yelled about it. I feel this in my bones. We are the people of the hope of God. It's over. The drug user, you know why they're sitting on the corner shooting stuff up? Because they're like, I don't matter anyway. We get to look at them and go, you do. You're not a blob of nothing. Don't just give your life to that. You matter to God and you matter to me. And he sent me to tell you of the hope of Jesus Christ. We, we have this soul-lifting, identity-defying, kingdom-bearing hope.
When you hear like, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? You ever heard that scripture? This is the context. In the Roman Empire, when they would win a battle, they would send a runner and he would run in and he was that messenger and he would announce the gospel, the good news. We won the battle. We are the messengers of the hope of God. And we run into a battle zone. It's a war right now and the demons are winning. And we yell in and we go, he won the battle. He destroyed sin and hell and death itself. And he's coming for you and he sent me to tell you. You're not marked by what you feel. You're not marked by your drug usage. You're not marked by your past of abortion. You are marked by God. Come to him. This is the hope of the people of God. But when the hopeful forget their hope, they go with culture. But we haven't forgotten our hope, I don't think. I'm just get fired up for it. It will cost you. They will hate you. They will revile you, but some will be saved. And that's a work I'm all about. Like, let's go to the world, tell them about this soul-lifting hope. Let's tell them about an identity that's beyond all the earth. Let's tell them about the kingdom of God. I told you Mark 2 would, would kind of show us the way, and then I'll get out of the way. This is Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. He went out again beside the sea and all, all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. This is, this is Matthew. Sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Jesus did this to all of you. Come follow me. Now, Matthew, or Levi, son of Alphaeus, was a tax collector. They hated him. This dude hadn't been in the temple. This dude neglected his people. He walked away from his family. They would have spit at him if they ever saw him. But the Son of God does what? Looks at a tax collector, a man not worthy. I mean, this is a rabbi calling a tax collector. You come follow me. Think of the redemption that is happening in that one call to follow, all right? And then he goes to his house, the tax collector's house, our savior. And he reclined at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So there's prostitutes and tax collectors and all the people that the religious people would have hated and held back from the grace of God. But Jesus, where's he at? Eating dinner at a tax collector's house. For there were many who followed him. Many what? Many sinners. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And you got to hear the absurdity they're saying that with. What the heck is he doing? He should be condemning them. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I don't think he was whispering to the Pharisees. He's like, these people, they know they're sick. You don't. You say you can see, but you're blind. And so what the world needs is not some sugar-coated Christian message. Oh, my Jesus would never offend. Uh, I'm going to risk to offend you. And I'm going to tell you that you're sick. Because there's the doctor of heaven and earth who makes men and women's souls new. Who died for them to bridge the gap between God and them. And it doesn't matter if you've had 18 abortions. Jesus can make you new. It doesn't matter. I, I have so much grace for the sinner in this church and for the religious. I just want to be a little bit like Jesus to you. Jesus had another equally cool moment. Um, the Pharisees, it, they caught a woman in the very act of adultery, which means they were using her. They were weaponizing a woman, shaming her to try to trap Jesus, which is a form of religiousness, Right? So she's not wearing a whole lot of clothes. They drag her in front of a whole group of Jewish men and they say, teacher, we caught her in the very act of adultery and the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? And in like the cool Jesus moment, you know, like where he's like, let me write something in the dirt. 
And then they're all like, what is he, why is, why is he doing that? And then he, in a very Jesus way, says like, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they all walked away. So there's a woman not wearing a lot of clothes who's been caught having sex with someone she's not married to, which most church people condone. Don't condone. We do not condone that. The son of God, God in the flesh, looks this woman in the face and says, where are they? Does no one condemn you? They catch it. Neither do I. That's the grace. I don't condemn you either. But he follows that up with, and it's important, but don't go and sin no more. That's the truth. So there's the grace, and then there's the truth. And we must do both. Salt and light and being real people in a real world means you're going to encounter people that if you tell them abortion is wrong, they will call you names. If you tell them that homosexuality biblically is a sin, this isn't about you and I will put it on the table again. Are your views as a follower of Jesus based off this or something else? And if they're based off something else, it's time to come home to the word of God and the truth of God by the grace of God. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to celebrate with you all the things that you've been saved from, like me. So were some of you before he washed you. Do you remember what he washed you from? Do you remember the pit he saved you out of? Do you remember the grace of God that was lavished on you and you didn't deserve it? Do you remember any of that? And so I just want, can you get in a posture of prayer? And I'm just going to lead you through some of those things. And if they're true of you, I want you to tell God, thank you. The band's going to come up and we're just going to worship the Lord. We're going to remember the hope that we have. And then we're going to go out the door and we're going to proclaim it to all creation. So sitting there before God. If you used to have sexual immorality or you were ran by your flesh and had a lot of sexual sin, can you say, God, thank you for saving me from that? Thank you for bringing me out of the darkness and giving my body to things that I shouldn't. Maybe you're in here right now and you're an adulterer. Like you have cheated on a spouse and you've practiced all these immoral things. Say, God, thank you that you saved me. Maybe you used to be an idolater. Maybe you used to be greedy. Maybe you used to be a drunk. Maybe you were a thief or a swindler. God, thank you that you changed us. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us. And maybe you're in here and you're some of the people or some of the issues we've hit today affect you. And it says men who practice homosexuality and you're like, I have these desires, God, but save me. And I'm not naive to think that nobody in here could face any of this. And say, God, save me, wash me. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So Father, thank you for sending the son to die for us. Thank you that you washed us. Would you help us to walk in this world as salt and light, full of the grace of God and full of the truth of God? Would you right now begin to minister to this room by the Spirit of the Lord? I pray if there's wounds on anybody's life from abortion, that God, you can heal wounds, emotional or physical. Would you bring healing and wholeness to sons and daughters? If there's anybody in here, God, that they feel like they're in the wrong body, feel like they're just not right or just odd. I just pray, God, that you would begin right now to speak over them the identity that you made them for. That they are a man or they are a woman created in the image of a holy God. As we enter into worship, I'm not going to dismiss. I'm just, we're just going to worship and pray until no one's left. Um, there's going to be some prayer teams if you have any of this stuff going on, we would love to just pray over you. And that's not preach at you. 
That's a let God minister to you through another human. So prayer team. And then also, I'm going to invite a couple elders just to come up here. Maybe we need to start these conversations now that maybe you're feeling. Like I said, we're not afraid of the conversations, y'all. So a couple elders. And then everybody else, if you need to go, great. If you need to go grab the kids, it is 1230. Grab the kids, come in and worship. If you need to go home and take a nap, God bless you. There's tons of freedom. But if you need to repent of your sin, if you have rage in your heart, if you're just like lost, don't leave here. Jesus saves. He makes new. And let's worship the Lord in response to the Lord. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.